podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I was watching an old Michael McIntyre DVD over Easter weekend. He declared that following the Olympic Games in 2012, London was the best and most exciting city in the world. He then mused and wondered exactly how long that would last for. Well, we know it wasn't quite as long as we hoped. But at least once a week for around about 30 minutes on the Anything But Footy podcast, you can revel in those good times once more. It's Anything But Footy. It's the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. I'm Michael. And I'm John. And you can get in touch anytime. We're on Twitter at Anything But F, Facebook and Insta. Uh, obviously, you can download us via your usual podcast provider, iTunes, Spotify, etc., etc., and download and share and like us and rate us and all that kind of thing. We're looking forward to plenty going on uh, to talk about, including, of course, as you rightly say, Michael, London being the centre of the sporting world. London is to host the World Para Swimming Championships. It's been announced recently. The reason behind this is that Malaysia have been stripped of the event for refusing to admit Israeli athletes to come to the championships and compete. This is a reaction to what Kuala Lumpur sees as Israel's poor treatment of Palestinians. The event will be rearranged and hosted by London at the Aquatic Centre now between the 9th and the 15th of September. It all comes about after a joint effort by the the Mayor of London, British Swimming and UK Sport. And of course the event is a key Tokyo 2020 qualifier. I just wonder first of all, before we get on to the the ins and outs of hosting this event in London, first of all, whether there will be an impact on the swimmers because as we know these highly tuned athletes are preparing or have been preparing for an event that was going to take place in July and August and I guess they'll now have to refocus and try and get themselves ready for the 9th of September. Yeah, around 600 swimmers and 60 nations are set to compete in the in the event. As you say, a, a qualifier for the 2020 Paralympic Games, which is less than 500 days away now uh, as uh, the clock ticks. And as you say, the clock ticks for these athletes. Yeah, they, they would have been looking to peak um, in July. But now, as you rightly say, the 9th to the 15th of September is when they will have to slightly delay their peak. And that must be, as an athlete, frustrating. But you'd rather have a world championship than not have a world championships it was right that they shouldn't go to Malaysia it was right that they were stripped of it you know you can't uh, if, if, if the Malaysian government as the statement says couldn't guarantee Israeli para swimmers participating free from discrimination and safely in the championships then you know it was right that these events were, were moved away and as London has stepped up to host a major sporting event once again Catherine Granger the UK sport chairman said the UK is now a world leader when it comes to hosting sporting events and our innovative approach to staging competition combined with our passionate fans will ensure this is a fantastic edition of the world championships those passionate fans were in evidence at the fed cup at the london copper box over the weekend uh, they are will be there for the world diving in may we've talked about the athletics in uh, previous anything but footy uh, podcasts as well coming up with the anniversary games of course uh, this summer and that london aquatic center with that big wave of a ceiling quite an impressive building built for 2012 of course staged that and uh, back the Paralympic swimmers the world's best will be back there this year and it's great to see and I think it's interesting as well Michael that Channel 4 have confirmed they will be showing the World Para Swimming Championships live this September as the UK's Paralympic broadcaster but we haven't seen much swimming on the telly in the last few days. 
Now, the British Swimming Championships have been held in Glasgow. There's been some fantastic performances. Some of those big names that we already know about, medal winners from Rio, people like Adam Peaty, have been winning medals as expected at the British Swimming Championships. Other names, a man who won six medals on the Gold Coast in the Commonwealth Games, including Duncan Scott, also winning three gold medals in the British Swimming Championships taking place at Tollcross in Glasgow. But no terrestrial TV coverage. I have to say, congratulations to British swimming they've been streaming the coverage it's been excellent they've had an experienced commentator in bob ballard leading their coverage they've had rebecca adlington providing analysis but i do think that swimming is going to be a standout sport for team gb when we get to tokyo in a little over a year's time and i do think this was a great opportunity for a broadcaster to pick this event up you know, we already have spoken at length about what a superstar Adam Peaty is, but you've got people like Duncan Scott, you've got Daniel Jervis, you've got James Guy, Max Litchfield, uh, and then in the women's, you've got uh, Alice Thomas, who did really well, you've got Molly Renshaw and others. This was an opportunity over four or five days in what is, you know, a tidy television package. If you think about it from that point of view, you know what time it's going to start, you know what time it's going to end, you've got lots of finals coming up one after another. So I think it makes good TV, and I think it was a great opportunity to make stars or begin to make stars of some of those people that will be cheering on in the first week of the Tokyo 2020 Games. Yeah, I think there were some, some news hits on the local BBC and, and various BBC stations were picking it up, obviously, with their deal that they've had previously and, and their support of, of swimming. But as you say, it was an opportunity maybe for other people to get involved. It was the trials for the World Aquatic Championships, which take place later this year, the end of July in Guangzhou in South Korea. And you highlighted some of the, uh, of the big names there, uh, Michael, performing. I thought Adam Peaty, you know, first night, first gold uh, in the 100-metre breaststroke, a winning time of 57.87, and he automatically books his place on the plane. That's how it works. The winner, if they had got the qualification time and won the race, the gold medal, automatically got their way on the, the plane. The squad will be announced later this week for the rest of the World Championships. But some, some you've mentioned quite a few names in there, and I think it's worth highlighting a, a, a couple of them. Obviously, PT came back the next night to win another gold in the 50-metre breaststroke. But James Wilby, I thought, really caught my eye. You know, we know about Ross Murdoch, um, uh, obviously competing in the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow 2014 for Scotland, doing it again at the Gold Coast. Uh, obviously went to the Rio Olympics as well. But James Wilby be in that 100 metres breaststroke won by Adam Peaty on the first night was just a sec- was second in just 0.2 off his lifetime best but then he came back three days later beat Murdoch and Craig Benson who had to settle for fourth in that 100 metres uh, to win the 200 metres breaststroke and he swam a lifetime best and automatic qualification for the Worlds in 2 minutes 7 seconds 0.49 and he said we've got a phenomenal bit of breaststroke depth going on in Britain at the moment it's really exciting we're a year and a bit out now uh, from Tokyo so it is really exciting and uh, lots of other names I want to mention but just before I do that Michael just on breaststroke we've obviously always been brilliant at it Nick Gillingham Adrian Morehouse um, Andy Jameson I think as well um, were all big breaststroke um, winners for Great Britain in the pool are, are, are we the only nation that take it that seriously <laughs> Well, I think obviously success breeds success and certainly we've seen that and we've spoken at length about funding programmes and things like that. 
And I think when you get a, a successful sport, a successful discipline, uh, you then start inspiring other people to take it on. And the great thing about sport, and it's always been a great thing over the years, all sports have always created rivalries. And then when you get two people or three people who are really at the top of their game, they then drive that sport on to a, a greater level. So think in tennis that people like... You know, uh, Roger Federer driving Rafa Nadal on and Novak Djokovic. And then Andy Murray had to step up. You see it in so many sports, don't you? And I think we're seeing that in British swimming at the minute. That men's 200 metres breaststroke final that you talk about, for me, arguably the race of the week. The first time you had two Brits going sub 2.08 in the same race. And I think what you've got there is James Wilby and Ross Murdoch driving each other on. You've got Craig Benson. You can't write him off as well. And they will just continue to push and push. And, you know, we know what a technical sport swimming is so we know that these guys have gone there they've they've raced phenomenal times uh, at the meet over the last week but they do have the world championships that's their focus this season and they will be going away now and they will be working on those marginal differences and what i mean by that is that they will have their starts filmed by cameras that give them kind of 200 frames a second so they can analyze really really in depth what they can do just to try and shave a little bit more off that time yeah. as they head towards the world championships and that of course is the key lamb mark for them on that road to the Olympic Games. Yeah, I want to talk about Duncan Scott in a moment, but sure, uh, you mentioned some of the uh, the British swimmers uh, and, and the women particularly coming to the fore as well. 23-year-old Siobhan Marie O'Connor, of course, won a silver medal at Rio. She's a Commonwealth champion. She took the uh, British 200 meter IM title and uh, qualified for a what they're calling a World Championship consideration time which is obviously not, <laughs> not quite a qualification time, but it's, it's pretty close, so we'll consider it. So assume that she'll be on her way. Freya Anderson, the 100-metre freestyle uh, specialist, defended her title for a third time. And again, uh, consideration time for the World Championships. Amy Wilmot, uh, someone who I know you know reasonably well, uh, up in the northeast, women's 400-metre individual medley. Uh, she's the Commonwealth champion. She sneaked a World Championship consideration time. Also in that race, it was good to see Hannah Miley uh, getting a bronze as she uh, returns from her in ankle injury. Uh, thought about retiring from the sport, but has uh, said that she wants to carry on uh, to go into Tokyo 2020. Uh, and Molly Renshaw as well uh, in the women's 200 metres, uh, taking the uh, to, uh, consideration time as well. So some, some great performances right across the board from British Swimming, as you say. But Duncan Scott, he's someone we met uh, in Rio, and bless him, I mean, he was in he's incredibly young. Um, and he looked he looked like a 12 year old when we met him and interviewed him after he won one of five world and Olympic relay medals that he has won uh, along with the likes of Adam Peaty and James Guy. Um, he's the Commonwealth 100 meter champion. He's the European 200 meter champion and he won three golds, as you rightly say, a hat trick of titles, uh, 10 races in six days. Uh, he broke the British record in the men's 100 meters freestyle um, and he touched in 47.87 and admitted the last 25 metres really hurt a few nights later he took gold in the 200 metre individual medley smashing his lifetime best and coming within 0.1 of a British record and automatically qualifying for the Worlds and then the 200 metres champion um, it, from Europe of course in that pool the Toll Cross pool in Glasgow he then stormed the 200 metres uh, beating former world champion James Kai to secure his third medal and third automatic qualification for South Korea this guy Duncan Scott has the potential to be a big star in the world of Olympics uh, as well as British swimming yeah I mean I've 
been following his progress, as you say, since since Rio. Um, obviously caught up at the Commonwealth Games just over a year ago on the Gold Coast. Did where you? He had, he, had a, he had a lot of bling around his neck. <laughs> a lot of bling. I might tweet that photo of myself and Duncan Scott because I come up to about his waist, and I think that might be part of his success because he dives in the pool. He's already half the way up the, uh, the length and of the he, Olympic-sized swimming pool. And you look like his father. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, that was the last in the present series of anything but footy. Yeah, no, the guy, seriously, um, I think we've got a real superstar in Adam Peaty. And let's, let's not start writing the obituary on Adam Peaty's career. He's still a young man with much to achieve. But 21-year-old Duncan Scott, I certainly think has got the potential to become another huge superstar of British swimming. And when you think how bad the sport was from a British point of view just a couple of Olympic cycles ago um, and how they struggled to get medals on the podium, it's been a, a really good turnaround by British swimming. And everyone there on that programme should be congratulated. Swimming, of course, will dominate the first week of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. The schedule for the Games has been officially released 33 sports, 339 events. We're actually going to see some football, some softball, some rowing and some archery taking place prior to the opening ceremony. That's on the 24th of July. We've got 11 medals on day one. And if I was going to take up a sport, I think I would take up the women's 10-metre air rifle because that is the first medal event. And pretty much you could win your gold medal by the morning of the first day. You couldn't go to the opening ceremony, I presume. But then you could pretty much put your feet up and enjoy everything the village has to offer for 17 days. What, what a fantastic way to do your Olympics. Win it by lunchtime on the first day. Well, I'm sure. I, I, to be honest, I remember that with London. But, and I was like, oh, it'd be really important. Who wins the first gold medal? It'll, everyone will be talking about it. I can't remember who won the shooting first gold medal at, at London 2012 when, when we covered that and probably the same for Rio. So, uh, But you're right. It's a, it's, a, it's a great way to start, isn't it? You get up uh, first morning, uh, get a gold medal in your, in your back pocket and you, and you move on from there. But I think it's interesting about Tokyo because I, I was reading, Michael, that um, in, when it was last hosted, which was, I think, 60-something, 60, um, I should have done my research on that, um, that I'm going to Google it while you answer the, the, this next point. That it was held in October, and of course this year or next year, in it's the height of summer. So they've ha- they're, they're having to start the race walk and the marathon at six a.m. There are some odd times actually, and some of that obviously is due to that heat. So, for example, the rugby sevens—they're going to play in the morning, then they won't play in the afternoon, and then they'll come back on and play in the evening. Swimming finals—a lot of those, well, they will all be taking place in the morning. The reason for that, of course, is not the heat. The reason for that is US TV audiences. NBC have paid seven point six five billion pounds for TV rights until twenty thirty-two, so they've demanded swimming finals in the morning in Tokyo. So it will be in prime time in the US as far as TV audiences are concerned. Nine athletics finals also taking place during morning sessions as well. That's been something which has been gradually happening in the world of athletics because morning sessions traditionally, of course, don't get support. They do when they're in London and they do when they're in Germany and maybe when they're in Finland, but not many other countries in the world go out and support morning sessions. So more medal events in morning sessions as well. Um, the Some of the new sports, 3 by 3 basketball, street skateboarding we've got on day two sport climbing dates for your diaries 4th to the 7th of august super saturday 21 medals up for grabs and then what they're calling 
Golden Sunday. 26 medals up for grabs on the middle Sunday. Men's 100 metres, gymnastics and men's tennis. So that could be a good day for Team GB. The athletics actually starts on the 31st of July. You've got a brand new sport, karate, 6th to the 8th of August. 30 medals, the most ever gold medals on one day, uh, will take place on Saturday the 8th of August. And the final event will be the men's water polo final, which will take place just prior to the closing ceremony. And you will spot the winners of the men's water polo final, because I imagine they're the ones that are going to turn up to the closing ceremony in their trunks, still with their <laughs> towels and, and dripping wet. Was it 64 for the previous Tokyo Olympics? I, I should have gone with my gut. I thought it was, and it was. So 1964 is when they hosted it, but it was later on in the year. But it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the, the athletics, and we talked about it, the swimming, how, how difficult it is um, for the para swimmers to change their peak time. So the morning finals in the athletics, as you rightly say, from July 31st, the long jump, both the men's and women's, uh, the women's 100-metre hurdles, the men's 110-metre hurdles, the 400-metre hurdles for men and women, the shot put finals, men and women. I mean, it, it, it is different, isn't it, peaking in the morning than when, you know, most of the athletic stuff happens in the evening. And I think there was a few surprises from some of the athletes on Twitter this week. Yeah, I just think that athletics and, and the athletes themselves need to innovate because, you know, the athletes are the first people to complain when the crowds don't come out. And you and I have been at many events, <laughs> things like British Championships, where, you know, athletes have moaned that supporters don't come out. There aren't enough people in the stands. And traditionally, of course, morning sessions have been qualification sessions and they've struggled to sell tickets at, at world level and Olympic level. You go back to when Moscow hosted the World Championships, you know, they were pretty much deserted, the yeah. morning sessions. So the authorities have had to address that and bringing some finals forward, having some medal moments in the first in the first morning session. You know, that is one of the ways of doing it. If you buy tickets to the Olympic Games and they're not cheap, you want to see a gold medal being won, don't you? I know the huge scramble for tickets around London 2012. You know, everyone wanted to get their hands on tickets. We were happy to literally go and see anything. But on the whole, if you're buying tickets to the Olympic Games, you want to see someone win a gold medal. And if you're going to buy athletics tickets and you're going to sell a lot of athletics tickets because you're putting in a huge arena and you're putting on morning sessions every day uh, for a whole week between the end of July and when the Games close on the, the 9th of August, then you've got to put something on that attracts people to those morning sessions. It's a really, a really good point. So if you want to watch those uh, gold medals for those morning events in the athletics, back here, it's at 3 o'clock in the morning. And, that, and that's, that's, the, that's the slight issue from our point of view. You mentioned about the Americans uh, moving swimming to the morning so they get their peak time USA uh, evening uh, session with Tokyo finals in the mornings in Tokyo. That's for the U.S., we are going to watch these finals at three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. So in some ways, that might be a good thing because people are going to be waking up here at breakfast. The average person maybe won't be getting up in the middle of the night, unlike me or you or whoever is an Olympic fan watching these things live. They'll wake up in the morning and they'll find out, oh, this person was a gold medalist. This person uh, was a bronze. This one just missed out. So actually, they might get a bit more coverage because of those finals being that time. And I mentioned about the marathon and the race walk starting at 6am in Tokyo. That's 10pm here, British summertime. So lots of things, w w when you get this schedule, have a look at it, start planning it, because it will come around really quickly, but then you need to add in, well, what time is it here? 
in the UK, British summertime, so I can work out when I can watch it and when the rest of the family have to come in front of the telly. Uh, talking about uh, sharing cash and, and working out what to do, Notre Dame, obviously, uh, huge, awful fire. I mean, everybody has a memory of Notre Dame uh, from Paris. The IOC have, have donated some cash to it. Uh, is it that important that it's ready for the Paris 2024 games? I think it obviously has been a, a, a devastating week for, for lots of people. And as, as as we've mentioned there, of course, everyone that's ever been to Paris has, has been and seen this phenomenal building. And social media was full this week, wasn't it, of people posting their own photos from their most recent visit to Paris. Landmarks, I think, do help with the dressing of a city for a game. So, you know, London and the Olympics there wouldn't have been the same without those Olympic rings hanging from Tower Bridge. And I think if a devastating fire had happened at, say, Tower Bridge, uh, four or five years out from the London Games, I think we all we all would have wanted it to be restored to its former glory, to be one of those landmarks. People come to an Olympic city, they're not just coming for the sport, they're not just coming to watch those morning sessions at athletics they're not just coming to watch the men's cycling road race one of the events on on day one in tokyo they're coming to experience the city and they're coming to experience a city which is in a very unreal time and i say that because olympic games have a bizarre effect on places and you know places automatically go up one or two notches on the niceness factor when an olympic games or a paralympic games is in town so I think it's important that people that are going to Paris in 2024 see Paris at its very best. And part of that, of course, will be to go and see the restored Notre Dame. Whether it's the place of the IOC to donate such a huge amount of money. And we've talked about the IOC and, and money recently. $7.65 billion uh, for NBC for Olympic rights. So to give €500,000 to the restoration of, of Notre Dame doesn't seem that huge an amount when you compare it with what the likes of NBC and what Discovery, who have the rights in the UK, are paying to show it. As I said, whether it's the place of the IOC, I'm not sure. You know, I think the IOC should be there to support the athletes, should be there to support athletes making the very best of the 17 days of competition, whether that is by loosening the rules and regulations on some personal advertising, whether that is by bringing in some kind of prize money or reward for athletes, which still doesn't exist. You win an Olympic gold medal, all the glories that come with that, but essentially all you get is a fake gold medal to take home. Mm. Yes, you can go and plunder all the sports deals afterwards if you've got the profile, but actually winning an Olympic gold medal does not set you up financially for life. Whether the IOC should be looking at doing that for their athletes or bringing you know, more refugee teams or more athletes from parts of the world that maybe can't afford to send athletes to the Games, maybe that is their role. Maybe their role is not to pledge huge amounts of money to restore you know, the roof of, of Notre Dame. As devastating and as sad as we all were by the TV pictures this week. As ever... The voice of reason from Michael, I totally agree. A worthy cause, but relevant to the Olympics, I say give it to the athletes. Still to come, we'll have a roundup of all the other Olympic sport on anything but footy this week. But we have to return, unfortunately, to the subject of doping. Uh, two very high-profile drug tests have been in the news recently. Gerald Miller, the boxer, failed her two drug tests, failed a drug test or failed a drug test, and then the adverse finding in the first test, and then the second test. He was due to fight Anthony Joshua in June at Madison Square Garden. He said, "I messed up. I made a bad call, and I'm owning up to it." This is after the adverse 
adverse finding in the second test, having originally said that he would be vindicated. But from an Olympic point of view, former Olympic champion Asbel Kiprop has been banned for four years for doping, tested positive for EPO, which is basically a blood booster. Uh, November 2017 uh, was when this test was failed. And there are a couple of bizarre circumstances <laughs> around this one because bizarrely he'd been tipped off about this out-of-competition test. And it also said that he made a payment to the testers, but the panel said that this had no impact on the test results. He's planning an appeal. He said that his uh, drug sample has been tampered with. And remember, of course, he won his Olympic gold medal having been reallocated that medal because the original winner uh, was subsequently found to have failed a drugs test. But, yeah, very murky circumstances around this whole story. Very strange. The anti-doping panel said the case against the athlete is convincingly made out. And as you rightly said, he won gold after the original gold medalist in 2008 was stripped of his title for drugs. I think the reaction from the British athletes uh, summed it up. We've uh, we've said what we've thought in episode six of Anything But Football, if you ever want to uh, hear what we think about uh, drugs taking in athletics in particular, but sport. Uh, Di Green tweeted, F off, Kiprop. Uh, which was liked by several of the athletes, including Jess Judd. Uh, another fine mess uh, that uh, the, the sport, and particularly him, has got himself into. I think there's obviously an issue here where you've got athletes going away on um, programmes that are out of competition. You know, they are not easy places necessarily for drugs testers to get to. Um, and a lot of the, the work that they do over the, the winter months, very much hidden from view. And I think that's why the likes of Di Green and, and Jess Judd and others, you know, uh, finding some of these these decisions very hard to swallow. If you're Greg Rutherford, you live in Milton Keynes, you're very easy to go and get for a drugs test because you're just off the M1. You just go to the statue. And follow it, follow it from there. If if you're Max Whitlock, you just you just hang around, um, you know, the shopping centre in Hemel Hempstead and, and just wait for him to walk past. You know, a lot of the the athletes are, are very easy to get to, and and we see pictures on social media all the time. So the drug testers turning up five six o'clock in the morning. You know, they have to log in through this app, and you have to make yourself available for an hour every day. But if you're away somewhere, you know, far from you know what we perceive to be you know, civilization, if you like, if you're away doing your, your training at altitude or whatever, the drug testers simply haven't got the resources and the money to come and test you out of competition. And that, I think, has been the huge frustration for, for athletes in this country, that then at these athletes are turning up at the major events and, you know, we haven't seen them all year. And just because we haven't seen them all year doesn't, of course, make them guilty. But there is obviously that feeling, well, well, where have they been? What have they been doing? Mm. You know, whilst I've been getting up at six o'clock because I've had the knock on the door to go and wee in a bottle, you know, they've not been bothered for nine months. And then they come up here and they turn out a fantastic and a, and a brilliant time. So I have sympathy with Di Green. And if you want more on our thoughts, as John says, on anything but footy, episode six, check it out. Let's mm. move. We, we mentioned, obviously, the, the failed drugs test by Jarrell Miller. Let's just move on to another quick bit of boxing news here as we round up a few of the other stories this week. Amir Khan, the uh, former Olympic silver medalist, had to stop a fight against Terence Crawford, the WBO World Welterweight Champion. He took a low blow. Many people are now urging Amir Khan to retire. He denied that he pulled out of the fight as he was being outclassed. He said he pulled out because he simply couldn't carry on. 
What a performance as well from uh, Joanna Conta and Katie Balter, who wasn't even born last time Great Britain were in the world group level of the Fed Cup. It was an amazing atmosphere at London's Copper Box. The first time that uh, the LTA have put the tennis event there. And Great Britain beat Kazakhstan 3-1 in the tie to reach the world group uh, for next year. Heading into the second day, 1-1 after Balter had let a lead slip and three match points against Yulia uh, Putin-Saver in the second singles match. But then Conta came back from 4-1 down in the third and deciding set against the same opponent. And Bolter hold her nerve to win another three-setter. And the celebrations continued for Britain and the team. And Kiothavong, the captain, was in total awe of them and said that she hopes the team, especially Bolter, can kick on from here. She's ranked 86th in the world now and Conta 46th. You just hope that uh, we are seeing some um, more British spirit ahead of Wimbledon and obviously ahead of Tokyo 2020 next year as well. And if you ever have to interview Joanna Conta, as I did once, make sure you've got a really good handle on the facts and stats because she will pick you up on any inaccuracies. Me getting her world ranking and her seeding at uh, that particular event mixed up did not go down too well. In rugby, England sevens won silver. The uh, women England sevens won silver in the world sevens in Japan. They, defe- they were defeated by Canada in the final. Great Britain beat Hungary 3-1 in the ice hockey, part of a three-team warm-up series for next month's World Championships in Slovakia. Paul Swindlehurst, Ben Lake and Brett Pellini all scoring in Milton Keynes. And good luck to Liam Pitchford, Paul Drinkle and Sam Walker, who are all taking part in the World Table Tennis Championships, which have just started in Budapest. And Shauna Coxey has gone one better in the second World Cup event in Bouldering. The 26-year-old from Runcorn won silver in Moscow, improving on her bronze at the opening World Cup event in Switzerland. But it was Slovenians Jana Garmblet who won gold again. We'd love to hear from you this week. Your thoughts on Olympic and Paralympic sport. You can find us on Twitter at anythingbutf. You can find our Facebook page. We're on Instagram as well, anythingbutfooty, and also on YouTube. And you can always drop us an email anytime, anythingbutf at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.